damn, it's the AM2R crew. Contra. Hey, hey, everybody. I get to take a break this episode. Yay, I'm so good. Joining us, uh, some of the uh, fine crew behind uh, the game that I have not shut up about the yes! last time. Uh, ah! and our, we have Milton Dr. M64. Uh, good evening. Thank you very much for inviting me. And Steve Sabra230 with us. Hello, I'm glad to be here. Yes, I'm so happy for this right now. <laughs> I love this. Welcome, I want to ask you to receive a standing ovation and I didn't. I feel discriminated. Oh. I'm not going to lie. One of the treasure gems of my game collection is actually I've got a beautiful physical copy of AM2R from Mr. Wizard Reproductions. Oh, nice. So, I think he made about six of them. I got the last one. So... But in any case... Oh, I remember seeing something about that in the Facebook. I was hoping yeah, I, to uh, get my very own copy, but I have a bunch of developer copies laying on my hard drive, so I can't complain <laughs> too much. So, the last physical copy is in captivity. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but it's mighty pretty. He put some beautiful work into that. But uh, it kind of pales in comparison to the beautiful, beautiful work that you guys did. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, well, shucks. <laughs> like you guys I, this game is beautiful like this game feels like Nintendo made it. like like I, I couldn't believe the the effort and the hard work you guys put into this game and I was just like wow they are on a whole new level like like you wouldn't be able to tell this game if it was Nintendo I mean I, I, the way I was looking at it I was just like this is kind of fast than even Super Metroid itself, so I so I kind of wonder how how that happened. We'll but we'll get to all of that later. Um, I, I'm not trying to take my ho- the host spot or anything with questions just yet. <laughs> uh, but but I was I I'm so happy that this game was made. I'm happy that this game came out in 
uh just want to congratulate you guys on, on on just on fantastic work that you guys did um but uh go ahead so. uh you guys are welcome. Oh, this is just i'm so happy because this is, <laughs> you guys just don't know i i get to nerd out when i talk to developers and journalists because this is like i don't want to say once in a lifetime but all the years that i've been writing uh my own blogs and doing podcasts and talking to different people it's cool to actually talk about talk to people who are actually doing work in on video games or work in the industry that like for a better term got paid for it or not but have actually got their hands in it and put in all the hard work and effort just and just to talk to them to be like wow i'm the one that just stays home and play video games and blogs you guys you know you actually got the computers and the engines and the graphics and you put everything together you put like the design and stuff like you actually put the work for me to enjoy so it's good to talk to you guys like that well thank you it's awesome we also take quite a lot of time to actually play games uh the inspiration and the references need to come from somewhere and uh getting to know the metroid universe uh, by actually playing it and not just uh, watching videos on the, and people talking about it is it's a nice investment in time also uh i was very lucky to uh, discover the entire Metroid franchise by by just researching for this project. Uh, back when I did start, I haven't even finished uh, Super Metroid, and that's pretty much the best 2D performer in the history. Uh, well, speaking of uh, best ever, um, but before we go real deep, uh, now that you're here, we, we can officially bestow upon you. Um, I know Steve was aware that um, you guys won our very first ever uh, prestigious Game of the Year Golden Warp Pipe Award. Awesome. So you were voted wow. our Game wow. of the Year. Wow. That's awesome. Oh, that's that's really cool. Yeah. And, and on a personal note, um, not just Game of the Year for me, but uh, the original Metroid 2 was very, very near and dear to me. And... Uh, it, it long held a place in my heart as my all-time favorite game for very odd and quirky reasons that I'm pretty sure most everybody else hated it for. Um, it was uh, dethroned in August when you guys came around and finally released this. <laughs> well, this is just uh, another uh, point of view of the same event, uh, both story-wise, uh, graphics-wise, and uh, gameplay-wise. So um, I'm pretty sure that uh, you have very nostalgic moments on several places uh, while playing my little game and um, getting the approval of uh, people that uh, has Metroid 2 uh, in a special place in their hearts is the most important award I could ever have in well, my there, opinion. Was, yeah, there was the... really nothing little about this. This was a, an immense undertaking as I, as I recall reading. This was about an eight-year passion project, was it not? I think it was about uh, 10. Yeah, I heard 10. Pretty much about 10, yeah. Uh, the project became public about eight years ago, but before that I had been working quite a lot on the uh, base engine, the base movement, all the abilities, pretty much the basic uh, bare bones uh, structure that you need for a Metroid game to feel kind of metroid and not just uh, some random platformer with uh, Metroid graphics. Now, so, 
What what made you settle on tackling Metroid Two? Um, it was playing Zero Mission. I was I, I really did enjoy Zero Mission on my GBA, and um, after that, I went to play the next one, the next uh, game on the series, and uh, I I kind of felt strange. I didn't uh, it, it didn't age well in my opinion. Um, so uh, I have prior experiences remaking old games with new mechanics. Uh, there were a couple of uh, fighting games made with the Mugen engine and uh, small unfinished projects. And uh, tackling a ten year, a very old um, Game Boy game felt easy enough, and I was so wrong. Well, I know with uh, Metroid Two. Um, I, I, cause I had, I'd never brought, beat the original Metroid and I, when Metroid I 2, when Metroid 2 came out to, uh, the Game Boy, because I didn't beat the first one, I, I told myself I can't get Metroid 2 till I actually beat the original one. But then you mentioned, uh, Zero Mission and that's one of the best Metroid games for me. I love, I love Super Metroid. I love Metroid Prime, uh, Other M and everything, but. I, I, when Zero Mission came out day one, I brought it and I was just like, this is the game. This is what Metroid, a new version of Metroid is all about. So to hear you say that you got inspiration from that, I, I'm just inside so happy, like smiling. Because that, <laughs> that, I mean, that game, like you talking about a remake, they went in and remade that whole game. And I wouldn't know Nintendo to do anything like that. Like I think that to me personally, I think that was the first remake that I know that company ever to do. They did a damn good job with it too. Yes. And and, e- and as good of a job they did with it, honestly, I think you guys put them to shame. I think you, <laughs> you put more into bringing AM to our, uh, bringing Metroid 2 up to snuff than Nintendo did with bringing the original up to snuff with Zero Mission. I mean, there there really was so much little nuance in there that, that showed the love and care that went into it. Everything from little idle animations to, uh, you know, the, the detail of the lore that nestled so nicely into the series without disrupting anything else around it was spectacular. Yes, uh, at a certain point I did realize that uh, Metroid fans are extremely volatile, extremely passionate, and they really know exactly what they want. So my project started shifting from a very casual uh, remake of a Game Boy game into making a proper Metroid game and treating the series um, with respect regarding the gameplay, the contents, and the whole story, and what pieces of story I was going to be showing on the game, uh, that became a priority pretty much on day one. So uh, right from the get-go, there were not going to be any space pirates or anything that would uh, mess up the continuity of the of the universe. And uh, that was... We just ran with that. Whenever a new... Uh, uh, team member would show up uh, contributing to a project. Uh, Whatever he was going to be contributing, he had to follow these guidelines and, most importantly, have fun doing whatever they did. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's go, uh, like, 
did we at the we're at the play Metroid two? Um, did you guys map everything out and be like, okay, this is where we need to uh, start at, like uh, like the things that you needed to improve or the things that you wanted to improve? Like, where did you guys start at um, when you finished the original Metroid two? Well, the first thing I uh, started researching on how to do, I had no idea how to do, was uh, the map system. That was something that I thought was essential <laughs> for for the original game. Um, I did I did print out a map uh, to complete the game myself, which using my Super Game Boy. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, whatever I was going to do, it was going to be having a map. And from then, from that point on. Uh, I just started refining whatever I had to match more or less the physics of uh, Zero Mission. Now, uh, out of curiosity, I know, uh, Milton, the project started with you. Um, Steve, how did you end up getting roped into this? I didn't end up starting until about five years after the project had been public. Um, So around 2011, around the fall there, I was still going to college um, for digital design. And um, man, I, I discovered this project when he announced it on his website. He put up the first blog post, and I'm looking at it. And I said, oh, cool, someone's actually working on a, a Metroid remake that's actually promising. At the time, I was following um, uh, Blast from the Past, Metroid Prime 2D. Okay. Yeah. And I thought there was a lot of promise behind that. It's really cool, and I liked the idea, but it was just – it was so slow moving, and nothing was really happening with it for years. You know, you'd get a small update probably every few months for a little bit of extra stuff they added in, and eventually it died out. But um, I noticed on on Doctor M64's webpage that he had been making a lot of progress. He already had the engine pretty well built, and all he needed to really do was add in um, the different rooms and some of the enemies. And I mean, you got a fully functional game. At the time, the scope is a lot thinner. You know, it wasn't. He wasn't looking to make it as ambitious as it ended up, ended up being. And um, so, when he released Metroid Confrontation, it was modular, so you could add in your own graphics, your own music. You could you could change pretty much everything except for the actual design of the engine and the rooms. So, at one point, there was another person. His name evades me right now. But he made um, a zero-mission sprite that looked like it was ripped from Super Metroid. And it was really cool. Like, you know, he had Samus that looked like she was from Super, but she was in all of her zero-mission poses, and it was really neat. So I thought, well, there's no various suit and there's no gravity suit. Eventually, you're going to need those if you want to use that suit for the full game. So I ended up working on the various suit first and rebuilding it from the ground up. And then I did the uh, the gravity suit from there. And it ended up being really popular. Everybody used it and downloaded it. And um, I decided from there to remake the power suit. And that turned out to be really popular too. So after everybody's using all these, these sprites for confrontation, um, Dr. M64 wrote me a letter and asked me if I would be okay with him using my sprites for the final game. And I said, oh, definitely. Of course, please do, because that means that someone's using my work, my art for their video game, for their project. That's amazing to me. That's all I've ever wanted. 
So not too long after that, he starts contacting me for little things that he could use. And um, eventually he added me as part of the team full time. Oh, nice. Right now, speaking so of uh, uh, artwork and sprites and everything else, um, you know, I've, I've talked with a number of people about, about the project. And they're like, you know, yeah, it, you know, it looks like zero mission. It looks like fusion, you know, and I, I, for me at a glance, they're right. But when I look at it closer, so much of it actually smacks of actually being built from the ground up. How much mm-hmm. was, you know, ripped and reused assets out of fusion and zero mission versus how much of this was done from scratch? Well, at first it was a lot. Then when uh, most of the later areas started to have uh, custom uh, mechanics and new things and new places, uh, things started to be a little bit more, uh, you know, custom. And uh, Steve had made some pretty awesome tile sets, uh, environments, and uh, plenty of little things here and there that uh, make the game feel less um, sprite rip of ish for example, I don't know. Uh, for example, the entire new area, the water area, mm-hmm. those entire tile sets, all the backgrounds, uh, pretty much everything that you get to see there, that was made by Mr. Saber here. And uh, it was uh, it was a nice uh, challenge to do something that's not a remake, and uh, that particular area... Uh, Level design-wise, took about three full revisions, making the entire place from scratch. I kept adding new things, and uh, they just didn't work. But uh, all in all, the entire place feels like something new, something that uh, even if the entire uh, rest of the game feels like something familiar, people that approach this uh, new place was always intrigued. And uh, the new original music done by... Uh, Mr. Falkul, a very awesome uh, composer and long-time fan of the project, uh, made the entire place feel much more unique, you know. Um, that would be the extreme. And uh, the rest of the game is littered with small uh, details here and there that uh, they are following a new guideline regarding color palettes, shading style, and other minor details. Uh, but, for example, the first... Um, assignment that uh, I got from Mr. Sable here was the uh, door system that appears on the uh, tower basement. When you get to go to the power worms and uh, do the entire sequence, uh, those destroyed doors that appear there, those are the first official contributions uh, for IM2R by Mr. Sable. It's it's weird when you talking about like the sprites and that you use. While while looking at it, it reminds me of Contra Rebirth on the Wii and a little bit of um, what's the Neo Geo shooter, uh, two D uh, uh, Metal Slug. Metal Slug, like the sprite, like the sprite base almost looks like that. And seeing it in motion, you just be like, wow! I'm like, this could be almost close to an arcade game. In a way, yeah, I certainly like to have the amount of anima- animation frames that Metal Slug has, <laughs> but um, no yeah, the style goes more or less towards that. Hmm. I will say, uh, speaking of uh, music, you mentioned 
Um, you know, the, the music that was done for this was fantastic. The first, you know, the original was almost nearly devoid of anything music-wise. And actually, that was that was one of the little quirks of the game that I, I actually liked because so much of it felt very cavernous and stark and eerie in the fact that most times all you were really hearing were, you know, their, their representation of things just kind of creeping and crawling in the background of these caves that you could really even barely see the back of because it was subterranean, unlit, and dark. And that, that was, for me, something that I liked about that that came as a result of the limitation of the system. And truth be told, it was part of the reason I was actually a little hesitant to sink into AM2R because, you know, those are quirks of the game that I love. And, uh, you know, going into it, going into AM2R, those are things that kind of fell away, but in its place came something so spectacular in its stead, you know, this very lush, filled out and realized environment to see, you know, the, the, the caverns of SR388, you know, not just as caverns, but as something that was once inhabited, there was a civilization and a culture there, uh, in particular, dear Lord, the, uh, the, the background for the final area before you go into, uh, the queen, um, you know, the, the temples and the waterfall in the background were just gorgeous to actually, you know, see light shed on what was not there before was spectacular. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, there's a little bit of a, of a trade-off here because what you just mentioned, it, it's not quirks. It's more or less like features defined by the limitations of the hardware. And then they end up conveying quite a lot of tension, uncertainty, not knowing what lies beyond the edges of the screen is uh, really unsettling, and uh, I don't have that anymore in this uh, in this game. Uh, I have to pretty much play a lot more with uh, what the um, intended emotion for the player is going to be. We have a much more detailed environment, but uh, having to convey the uh, possibility of uh, hidden Metroids being uh, looking around is a little bit more difficult, having to rely on just uh, uh, throwing off the players uh, with a couple of jump scares on the beginning and that, then letting the player know that uh, that could happen at any moment, even if, even if it doesn't, uh, should try to do that um, instead. But um, it's a little bit more lively and the um, tension is much more localized in certain uh, places, you know, the breathing, breathing grounds for each one of the main areas. But... Um, that's, oh, especially uh, when you turn the lighting down. Ah, uh, yes, that one. <laughs> I, I that one was actually uncomfortable to test. I actually, <laughs> most of the time when I was actually uh, testing out the metal battles or some tire sets or mechanics or whatever, I just turn off the lighting engine, just set everything to rewrite and try it out. Otherwise, it was so tense. I just. Uh, that was, Give yourself a jump scare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that, like that uh, that episode with the first gamma. But that works. That, Mr. that works for Metroid. Uh, even if when you look at Metroid Fusion, uh, and the other uh, Metroid is chasing you with stuff, it's that tension. You know, even though you're you're being adventurous, um, you just you just don't know what's what's next. 
<laughs> there's one particular episode that I just mentioned that uh, Mr. Sever was one of the very few people that uh, at the time was able to try out the new Gamma Metroids back back in the day. And uh, I was sending him maybe one or two builds a week just for him to try out new things, help me out with the bug testing and stuff beside the, beside the people that were uh, dedicated to testing. And uh, in one of the updates, uh, without telling him, I actually added the Gamma Metroid as a surprise uh, encounter. uh, (laughs) I could hear the cursing from this guy from here from Argentina that night. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And it was so good. I was so happy when it happened. After you finished screaming like a little girl. Yes, of course. (laughs) Gamma's. That was one of the things that floored me when I, I played this for the first time was, you know, not just that, you know, the, the Gammas and the Alphas acted pretty much exactly like they did in the original. You know, they're little, they're flying things and the Gamma has the lightning, but suddenly now the Gamma has more to it in the respect that, you know, it'll grab you up with those little feet. And it's the first time that you really get the the first glimpse of this love and care in the detail where Samus is tossed to the ground, lands on her back, and you hear that metal just thunk on the floor. And that was spectacular. Uh, yes. I was literally floored. I'm like, the hell did I just see what I think I saw? <laughs> that was amazing. Well, that's, and eventually, uh... skilled players will learn how to avoid um, being at the mercy of another follow-up attack after landing on the floor, because Milton was able to add in a feature that we always try to avoid the character being stun locked because that's one of the worst feelings you can get is not being able to fight back. Yeah. So, um, Milton ended up adding in a, an ability called, I believe it was Ukemi. That's right. And so that you can essentially catch your fall. So if you press the jump button just before you hit the ground, Samus would catch her fall and leap back into action. So you could avoid the follow up attacks. That's kind really? of like uh, that's kind of like Streets of Rage too. When the enemies throw you, you press up and jump, and you land on your feet. Yes, exactly. Uh, it, it's one of those uh, secret techniques that Metroid games have, but they are not documented anywhere, not even in the manual. And um, this ended up being a little bit tricky to actually pull off uh, consistently. It's there, but uh, it's really not reliable unless you practice that quite a lot, or you pull it off by accident. It I did sounds practice. like one of those things that's <laughs> very, very frame perfect. Well, you have to press the button, the jump button, about half a second before you hit the round. So it's not that intuitive. And it's also the reason why it doesn't come up accidentally, you know, but just mashing buttons randomly. Right on. <laughs> um, can, continuing on from some of the, the new stuff that the Gammas were doing, the the Z- from the original and they I'm curious you know how you how you got to where they ended up you know coming from the original where they were just you know bigger damage sponges that did a little more and were a little faster than the alphas and the uh, gammas well um, having them being just hovering uh, enemies on the original made them feel way too light like they felt like uh, balloons that followed you all the time, and um, it made them feel, you know, it, 
a little bit cheap. So if this creature were to exist in real life, uh, it needs to have proper weight. And if it's going to be weight, uh, there's going to be a loss of uh, the flight ability they do have. And uh, making these uh, creatures bipedal and ground-based made them feel more like the standard miniboss. So I treated them just like that. I had to resign some of the rooms so they actually uh, were able to fight on the ground with some overhead space so you can actually jump over them. And um, yeah, animating them and uh, making the uh, all of the movement feel not so clunky and not so mechanical was quite a challenge. I actually had to make uh, a separate project, a uh, game maker project for those uh, specific assets. And uh, all the animation engine was done from scratch um, on those separate projects. And I was actually there with just a blank screen and simulating what the uh, animations and uh, actions were going to be before inserting them into the real game. Uh, that way the compilation was were a little bit faster and uh, it was easier to go back and forth between the uh, run, the game running and the uh, code editing. So um, it was quite a lot of work, but uh, by, the, by the time I was uh, making the Omega animation, uh, most of the base poses and skeletal uh, data was reused from the Zetas, just with a bigger uh, proportions. And uh, since I was sharing some of that data, uh, I was able to actually make the entire uh, morphing animation very easily. Uh, since the, the the position of the head, the legs, and the arms is fairly similar, um, so it's just uh, separate parts of the uh, creature that are being animated in separate uh, order, and that way you have the illusion of a huge, very complex animation playing out when you get to see the first Omega. Mm. Um, I, I gotta ask. Um... When Samus is shooting her regular firepower, I was looking at it and it kind of reminds me of Super Terracon. Um, did you guys like? How did you decide to change up her uh, her shots, like the animation? Like, how did you guys, um, you know, made it look different? You're talking about the um, beam projectile uh, sprite work. Yes. I can't remember. That was one of the very first things I did. Uh, whenever I started adding the shooting mechanics back in the old uh, age, uh, I just selected a couple of uh, sprites from somewhere. They were ripped from several places. I think one of them is uh, from one of the Ice Beam variations comes from one of the later Mega Man games, but the rest I actually can't remember. It was ages ago. Oh, wow. Uh, I, wanted, I wanted something that felt... Uh, powerful and different to what you get to see on the metro area. Um, zero mission beams, only the charge beam looks powerful. Uh, Super Metroid, uh, the beams are extremely tiny, even if they have some particle effects and they they do uh, pack uh, quite a bunch. The graphical representation was uh, a little bit humble. So I wanted to make something that felt powerful. Okay, because I would just like, I would love these guys to do like a 2D Contra or <laughs> uh, a 2D like shoot them up. Because I like you guys got everything so right to do that. And and you should, you see it in uh, AM2R. It's just like, man, everything about this game they got right. And you just kind of wonder like, this had to take time for them to, you know, the trial and error the playtest, like, they had to do a lot to get it right, and then I'm seeing it, and I'm just like, 
I want a contract game. I want the, I want like something like Arrow Flash, like R type or something like coming from these guys. Something like Gunstar Heroes. Maybe? Yes. Oh, if you make a Gunstar Heroes, I would love you forever. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've I've gone on record saying on numerous occasions that honestly, I think the best thing I would love to see from you guys is I would love for Nintendo to pick up AM2R. Give it an official release. Let me play it on the big screen. You know, retitle it into something like Assault on SR388. Feels about right. And then set you guys off on working on Dread, finally. I would love to see (laughs) where you take the story from where it's been left for over a decade now. Um, Well, whatever we do, just remind us not to make Samus into a wannabe bitch. Oh, right. <laughs> Which, you know, and I, I do think Other M gets a, a bad rap. Yes, the, the story was atrocious. The voice acting was god-awful. But honestly, I actually really enjoyed the gameplay. It, it felt kind of like a, a collection of best-of bits from throughout this series, getting things like uh, Nightmare and Phantom and The Queen all wrapped up into the single game was fantastic. You know, that was one of the things that got me super giddy was this was, you know, Other M was the first time that the Queen had been seen since the original Game Boy. Yeah, they they beat me to it. Uh, it was a nice game, actually, gameplay-wise. It's a very well-designed game. It's very solid. Um, if it wasn't so linear and it if, it, if the cutscenes were actually skippable, it would be quite a lot better. Yeah, I- I've kind of been in the mindset that game's great as long as you hit the mute button. I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I was fine with the voice acting. I was, uh, I love the action. I think I look at it as a different, different perspective because if you don't know Tecmo, uh, well, Tecmo Kobe now, if you don't know them for the problems they have with camera from Ninja Gaiden and Ninja Gaiden 2, like, and that difficulty they dealt with, I feel like when they work with Nintendo to make other M, it made them want to make games better. Um, and I know they have uh, they have a good relationship now because Hyrule Warriors, which is perfect for me, I love that game. And just seeing other M where people was just upset about all of this and all of that, and I was just like, first of all, they got the action right, which I love. Um, they they got things that you really complained about. When you hear Tech Kobe, you think of difficulty and bad camera. Okay, the voice acting, it is what it is. But I'm like, but this is the first for, uh, I think, for Samus. And, you know, it was a new avenue that them trying to explore. It didn't work well for them for some people. For me, it was fine. I mean, I heard terrible, uh, I heard terrible voice acting in better games. And you would just be like, shut up because you're annoying. Like this, I I didn't feel too annoyed about it. Well, the voice acting was actually decent. The voice direction and the script was the culprit in this case. Uh, I was actually uh, able to contact uh, Jessica Miller, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. That should be the uh, voice actress that played Samus. And um, she was a very nice person. Actually, uh, I was offering her if she wanted to contribute with AM2R to be the voice of Samus for the ending. And uh, she was uh, contractually uh, not permitted, not not allowed uh, for legal reasons to um, contribute in any uh, matter-related project. Uh, Um, 
Well, but uh, yeah, it, it, the the acting was actually decent. Yeah, the ending was the ending was fine. Um, now <laughs> speaking of Nintendo, um, were you? I think we have to, we have to get to the <laughs> DMCA takedown. But before we get into that, when people when like the game was finally announced and people were downloading and stuff, like how did you guys feel? Like you were like just getting recognized in that game, like oh, in the it media. So good knowing that there was recognition over something that we put so much effort into so much love that we completely without any other, um, how do I describe it? We took everything we had, all of our heart, soul, all the love for this series. And we put it into this game and to see people recognize that and, call it one of the greats i've seen people compare it with super metroid i've seen people call it their absolute favorite metroid game so far and (laughs) god damn it if that isn't humbling it feels so good to read that and for people to love something that we have put so much effort into it's it's so flattering i can't it's really hard to put into words how it feels it's amazing you're just like speechless when uh, the all the media coverage was uh placed on it, and people were talking about it, being like in Kotaku, Polygon, uh, Jeremy Parrish talking about it, um, just just like a whole bunch of people, you know, like getting the word out, be like, you guys need to uh, download this game. Like the discovery had to be like just huge. It was it was really awesome, you know. I a couple of years ago, something similar had happened. Uh, at one point, whenever when the project became uh, uh, public, it was kind of popular. It did appear in, on a couple of sites. There were a couple of interviews, reviews, and stuff. Uh, but that's it. It wasn't that. It, it didn't have the huge scale that this release had. It was actually not prepared for something like that. I was I was thinking I was thinking it was going to be flying under the radar under the radar because you know this is not a, a Pokemon fan game this is a niche market for a very specific uh, kind of fan and uh, I actually was not ready for the reaction that uh, people had on the release well, I, I think timing may have had something to do with that too because you know at the time that this project was started you know we were coming off of you know, actually having some games in the series releasing, you know, Corruption and Other M, you know, even as poorly as Other M was received, there was at least something, you know, and primarily for the last six, seven years, there's been almost no life in this series, uh, you know, save for this past summer's Federation Force debacle, um, <laughs> you know, it's, which truth be told, I haven't finished and I'm bad me but um i haven't you know, even played it i i picked it up and then am2r happened at the same time and i looked at federation force and went, fuck you don't care there's the game <laughs> <I need to laughs> so, but, you know so i i think that the the fans in the community are we're in a vastly different mindset you know desperate and starving for something you know, when this came out versus when it started. Yeah. Yes, the things were very, very different back then. 
and uh, it was supposed to be something much more little, humble. It was going to be just one more fun game, and uh, one personal approach for me to actually learn how to program properly, and that was it. Uh, the actual date of release was chosen, so it could be uh, something else besides whatever Nintendo was going to be doing for the 30th anniversary. Uh, turned out to be the only thing, but uh, that was that was a surprise also. Well, uh, let's get into the nitty-gritty, the sad part of it. Um, you guys get a hit. That's my favorite part. <laughs> you guys get a hit <laughs> with the DMCA. I, I got to ask, you know, the, the takedown happened about a week after it, it officially went public. 1.1 got released, at least, in order to, to fix the gravity suit issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the takedown was out there. It was confirmed, legitimized, validated, all that. And, you know, you guys uh, complied, you know, and I, I got to say, you know, as sad as I was to see it happen, I thought, especially Milton, what you said was an extremely classy thing, just in the fact that, you know, we kind of expected this and, you know, don't don't bitch at Nintendo for doing their job and protecting their, their property. Show them that we want this. Go buy the game. Mm-hmm. That was my thought, and I still think the same. Uh, Things are much different now. Uh, This game, this might be my fault. Uh, This game should have been completed four or five years ago. Uh, Things in life made it that uh, got delays here and there all the time. I never gave up, but uh, in result, the game is being released in a world that's very different than it was supposed to be. Um, Metroid 2 wasn't sold on the eShop. There was no eShop at all a couple of years ago. And uh, I was just remaking a forgotten game. And that's it. There's plenty of fun works out there, uh, ROM hacks, and uh, stuff made by very talented people that's not being touched at all by their respective uh, copyright owners. And uh, that was just going... That was what I... Pretended for him to hours, just a small project for myself to learn and uh, to entertain fans that were wanting to play some legitimate Metroid experience, and that was it. Um, it was a little bit shocking to see how fast it all came out. It was like a roller coaster. Um, if there was any legal action that was going to be happening, and that that was a possibility that was being contemplated. I thought it was going to be taking much more time, you know, but uh, it was a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, I, I think when your passion project gets noticed too well, and it begins, it comes into the media. I think the people who own it will be looking up, like, "Oh, someone made a game that we didn't make. Oh, let's find these and get the, get it taken down because we don't want this affecting our brand." Um, and that, and I think that was probably probably one of the reasons that it just got too popular so quick. You know, it was a two D Metroid game that felt like Super Metroid, and uh, for us retro heads, you got the two things locked down for us: Metroid, two D, and it feels like Super Metroid. Those three cat, those three things that we hear of, that we read, bam, we now want to play it. We want to own it, and we want to check it out. And I, 
and I think, and it's sad to say that you guys got taken down um, because you guys, like I said, you put so much work in this passion project. Just like it deserves to be rewarded, um, and re- rewarded in the way that you guys need to be complimented on the work that you guys put in because you didn't slap dash a project together. You know, <laughs> you, you guys took the time. You guys did the trial and error. You play test. You laugh. You went through some ups and downs, and you got the you got the experience of game development. And to see that all go away just like that, you know, it it, it has to be kind of to me. It's heartbreaking because I wish that you guys was the game was still available. And, and I'm not saying do other avenues, but I I wish the game was still available. You guys didn't get taken down, and like people were just realize that you know this is how you do a fan game like you guys are you guys are the blueprint of how to do a fan game well well thank you sir i i I have to humbly disagree so this is not that much of a tragedy and it's not that abrupt that uh, people is not able to play it anymore this hasn't disappeared uh, from the world people has it Mm -hmm. people is uh, people are sharing it uh, if you are skilled enough by using Google, you can actually find a copy of AIM2R, the latest version. So Second or third the, result, it is up there. Yep. Oh, wow. I have and, checked uh, myself. <laughs> <laughs> so people are playing it. You know, it's like anything with the internet. Game. Once it's out there, it exists forever. Yes, exactly. I'm, not able, I'm not able to actually update it. That's quite of a shame. There's plenty of things I actually wanted to include. Uh, but uh, people are playing it, and people are going to continue playing it. Uh, the distribution might not be official, and uh, the quantity of uh, people playing uh, on individual might not be what it should be if it was official, but uh, it is there. Um, it is available for the fans. People that are hardcore fans of the, the franchise have already, have already played it, and that's what matters. And... Uh, for me, it was a learning project, and it fulfilled its, its uh, purpose. I don't know about you, Mr. Saber. How do you feel about this? I think at the absolute very least, it was a learning experience. The work is still out there. It's still available. We The, the biggest thing that honestly hurts me about it is that we can't update it to add the finished things that we wanted to into it. There was this, still a few things for 1.2 that we had planned, uh, a couple finishing touches here and there, and ultimately we wanted to have the, everything in the game so that all of the old reused assets from the older games were completely replaced from the ground up with custom things that we had created so that at that point we were no longer using anybody else's artwork and it was all completely our own. But that's in the past now. So what it is now at this point is a learning experience. You know, we don't want to make, be making enemies with Nintendo because there's a chance that we may want to work with them in the future. We don't know yet. <laughs> which which brings up a, a, another issue, question, thing I want to touch point here. Um, you know, there there has been some some naysayers on the project in terms of the fact that you know they they were not fans of the fact that it happened in the first place and just said you know why why rip off you know or redo somebody else's game or their property versus you know making something original of their own and uh which 
leads to not only that question, but I think the follow-up question is, could this not continue to exist and be reskinned in something that is not somebody else's IP? In theory, it could. In practice, it would be a pain in the ass. Well, I, don't doubt ass. <laughs> I don't doubt that it would be a pain in the ass, but I, I definitively think it deserves to be out there in the world in a, a legitimately playable fashion. And, you know, potentially in a fashion where you guys can get paid for the work, no less. You know? Now, uh, the amount of work that we need to put into this uh, project, if we were talking about uh, some reskinning of sorts, um, it would require production of new graphical assets, replacing them, changing some of the level layouts, making new enemies, or just disguise the ones that we already have. And that amount of work could be pretty much used better if we were to work on something original. Uh, after all, it is going to be a risky inversion of AIM2R at the end of the, ga- of the day. If we were to put those hours of effort, those uh, pixels that are drawn into something new, we would be having the beginning of something new, and that would be a little bit more unique, you know? Now, have you guys ever thought of, um, hope, like, hopefully in the future, from learning this experience and, uh, um, you know, with your new game, whatever you guys are working on, have you ever thought, like, you know what, um, we really want to go into, uh, not full, uh, video game production, but look at Green Steam Light? Like, have, um, have you guys thought about any of that for the future, um, for any of your projects or, um, just like anything that you do, you feel like a small indie game, like the test, test run, did you guys look at the Green Steam Light or anything? Well, yeah, twice yeah. you said that backwards. You said green steam light. Oh, steam green light. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Make that the title, <laughs> green steam light. <laughs> That's a nice title for a video game. <laughs> oh. at least uh, some about, new song. You know, trying to eliminate all the crap off of Steam's store. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. It's quite a feat. No offense, Alf. I love you. Because I, 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 I would love to see you guys uh, work work with Unity and see what you guys could do with that engine. Like, if you ever got a chance, or or better yet, should I say, what engine that you guys would love to work with? Would it be like Unreal Four, uh, something Nintendo engine, something from SquareSoft or Square Enix? Like, what engine? Which you guys will just be your ultimate? Like this is the one that I want to work with. Uh, I have no clue. Right now, we are both making a little bit of research. Um, but I actually, I'm actually trying to play plenty of games. I have forgotten uh, they don't make a backlog. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. I'm trying to gather ideas to make something unique. Uh, like you just mentioned, Steam and many other markets are very pretty much flooded with 2D platformers, uh, Metroidvania, uh, wannabes. And um, if I am going to be making something original, it, it will have to bring at least a couple of new ideas or be extremely excellent in one, at least one aspect. So 
Can you bring up? Uh, can you bring back a beat 'em up? I want a, I want a two D beat 'em up so bad. I missed that from the nineties. Like uh, I would, I would love for that to come back. Something like a platformer or something like Double Dragon or Street of Rage. Uh, Streets of, that's not like Double Dragon, Streets of Rage. Like, give me bring a me new battle toads. Oh, Ooh, that would be pretty epic. That would be fun. Oh, a battle toad. Oh yes, I'm so happy right now. Oh. <laughs> Because I, I should also be uh, YouTuber friendly, you know, people raging at the monitors uh, because the game is insanely hard. Yeah, is it rare working on a Battletoads right now? No, I thought I heard a little bit of rumors about that. Uh, uh-uh. uh, they. Well, the last um... thing I heard about Battletoads was uh, Shovel Knight Shovel on Knight. Xbox One got some Battletoads content, and I think that was about it. Oh yes, that was awesome. Uh, wasn't there a character in the new Killer Instinct also from Battletoads? Yes, yes, there was. Uh, I think it was. I think it was was it Zit or was it Rash that and, uh, you could play as in the new yeah, Killer Instinct? I think it's R- Zits. I think it definitely wasn't Pimple. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I've I, never I, I got. Think it, I, I think it was Rash. I've never got I think their it was name. Rash. I've one of the new ones. I so, think in the first game it was Rash and Zits, yeah. and then in the second game it was Rash and Pimple. And you had to save zits or something along those lines. I don't quite remember. It's been a long time. Was that um Super Battletoads? I believe so. Yep. Because there's let's see, there's Battletoads, Super Battletoads. There was Battletoads, the arcade game. I don't know how EA produced that. Um, Battletoads and Double Dragon. Battletoads and I think that was the last one. I heard that one was all right. It was. I I, I cheated and beat it with the game genie. I just couldn't. That game was. <laughs> Uh. So, so couple of couple of questions I'd I'd love to hit on with you guys. Um, first off, you know, given uh, that you guys have absolutely demonstrated a, a comprehensive, you know, knowledge and respect for the lore of the series, um, you know, and one of one of the favorite things that I, I adore about what you did with AM2R is the way that you actually. More competently tied Fusion back to Metroid 2 than Fusion did by itself by including the likes of uh, Cirrus in this, you know, where the the BSL station was populated with creatures from the, you know, from the planet. And, uh, you know, Cirrus was never in the original, um, but, you know, somehow is supposed to have been a creature that was on the, you know, on SR388. Um, you know, but. Like I said, given the, the the comprehensive knowledge and love of this series, where would you guys like to see the series go from here if we ever eventually get a follow-up to Fusion? Well, Fusion is a pretty awesome game, and the turn of the story of Samus going uh, kind of rogue opens up plenty of possibilities. And uh, having some sort of storyline that uh, goes uh, through Samus in terms of redemption against the uh, Galactic Federation that's pretty much uh, surely going to be chasing her. It sounds like an interesting story, but uh, I really can't imagine how that could be fit into a Metroidvania game or a Metroid game at all, like, you know, with the classical um, power-up gathering structure. Um, I'm 
pretty sure that whatever they do, if they are going to be following that uh, obvious story, um, they are going to be making something a little bit more traditional and cinematic. Who knows? I actually did have an idea on that a while back. For um, before AM2R came out, I thought it might I might thought it might be fun to dabble with the idea of possibly pursuing um, a spin-off story uh, based on the events that came after Fusion. Whereas my thought process was, since you have Samus that his well, she's essentially gone rogue. She's going to be hunted down. Um, and what better way to hunt a bounty hunter down than with another bounty hunter? And you know, the first thought that would come to a lot of people's minds is, oh, uh, why not hire Silex? Well, the problem with that being is that he does not get along with the Galactic Federation. That's that wouldn't make any that would make any sense. I thought it would be fun to introduce a new bounty hunter, um, also a female, just to make things fun because that's how our Metroid universe works. Our main character is female. Um, and she would be tasked with hunting down a rogue Samus and seeing it from her perspective um, while she tries to hunt down this this legendary bounty hunter that she's only heard stories about that she's essentially scared of. And... I didn't think of it much past that, but I thought it could be a lot of fun to uh, essentially demonize our our Samus Aran and kind of see her mean side. And then eventually, as the game progresses, you start to see her for who she really is and see this heroic, badass uh, woman figure and start to see the story come full circle. And then your character doesn't know whose side to fight for. I I still want to see uh, Samus Aran uh, before she became a bounty hunter when she got rescued and how they trained her. So I would like to see her as a kid and then uh, like catch up a few years after uh, she gets infused with, after fusion and somehow Mother Brain comes back. And told should be the movie. <laughs> This like, is what the movie should do, because this does not sound like it would play well, but it sounds like something that would be a good watch. I'm down for a Metroid anime. And the movie uh, rights floated around for years before I think they just vanished into thin air again. I think Other M showed them that they have a hard time understanding how to make a good movie out of it. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but there was that fan movie that they made for Metroid. Yeah, but and we know how that goes. Oh, actually, <laughs> people, actually, people liked it. They it was really good. Uh, apparently, Nintendo didn't like it. <laughs> I don't think you think Nintendo saw it. <laughs> I believe that that movie got a, a takedown notice as well. But I believe the reasoning for that was because they were taking donations to put this movie together. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, they probably ran into about as much trouble, if not more, as um, uh, Prelude to Axanar. You know, for any Trekkie nerds out there, you know, that was a, a spectacular fan project that was coming together that ran into all sorts of legal problems, but that had more to do with the fact that uh, figuring out where the rights for the Star Trek series went was a complete debacle because the movie rights went one way and the TV rights went another way, and wasn't so, it like CBS between CBS and yeah, CBS got the uh, the TV rights and Paramount got the film rights. 
Wow. Two can't intermingle at all anymore. So <laughs> that's kind of bogus. It's it's very bizarre. It's an you interesting name. You know, how to make your name of project uh, Star Trek the series, the film, or the <laughs> Star Trek the series, the movie, or something like that. To know who the rights come from, maybe. Oh, well, I mean, that, because I wonder if we could get Patrick Stewart on board with that. Oh, <laughs> good luck with that. I, I'll watch it. <laughs> Trust me, I'll watch it in a heartbeat. Um, watch about anything that man does. He's great. And for the record, if you haven't checked out uh, one of his latest offerings, Blood Talk, watch it. It's hysterical. I need to watch it. I don't think I've heard of that one. I'll need to watch it. It's, uh, <laughs> I believe it's a Stars production, and it's freaking awesome. Well, I have to ask you guys, when when did you start gaming? Like, when did you start playing video games? Start creating or start playing? Start playing. Like, was, like, NES your first console, Sega Master System, uh, Genesis, Super Nintendo, Turbo Graphics? I'm, I'm going far back because I'm kind of telling my age of all the systems that I somewhat owned. <laughs> uh, well, but, yeah, I started you with the Super Super Nintendo back when uh, the PlayStation had been out for a year or two, I think. Was that, it was back in 94. And I started, my dad got me a Super Nintendo when I was just a little kid. He got me two games. And I remember these games really well. He got me The Lion King, which was tough as nails. Never beat it. And then he got me the Power Rangers Fighting Edition, which, <laughs> my opinion, that still holds up. That game is fun. I still love that game. That's not the beat. Was that that's the two player beat 'em up one? Oh, no. Yeah, it's uh, it's well, it's not it's not a beat 'em up. It's a fighting game where okay. you've got like four swords to uh, choose from, and then you have four of the main bad guys. You had Goldar, uh, Lip Sync. Um, oh, I can't remember his name. It was Silver something or other. And then there was Goldar. Oh, wow. And, oh, man, Goldar was awesome. He was my favorite. <laughs> what about you, Just Milton? Just a big old flying dude with a sword. It was great. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, what about you, Milton? Where did you start? Uh, like, what was your first console? How did you get into video games? Uh, mine was the Atari 2600. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel a little bit old, but... Um... If it serves any consolation, it wasn't the wooden grain one. It was the uh, junior model, the one, the black plastic one. Yes. Um, and uh, it was awesome because you, even if you are playing a video game and you are actually uh, making stuff with mechanics and rules and uh, watching the, the TV after the images come to life, you still had to use your imagination, and that was pretty cool. Uh, one of my favorite favorite games uh, at that time. Um, it was, you know, these kind of things were pretty expensive, and uh, it was very uh, common to rent games at the uh, BHS uh, rent stores. But uh, my all-time favorite was Pitfall 2. Very awesome game, very advanced. Really? Yeah. Oh, what? I guess I've never heard anyone say that. That's that's awesome. <laughs> um. After that, Commodore 64, awesome machine. Uh, later, Commodore Amiga, very awesome machine. Super NES, and uh, after that, I was pretty much a teenager uh, stalking women. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that came out of nowhere. 
Um, I mean, I was a teenager interested in uh, social life, um, I guess. Okay. Stalking such a harsh word. We prefer aggressively following. Yes. Yeah, so... That's what Facebook is for, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> This this is a thing about the language, you know. There's there's very few describe <laughs> this kind of behavior that doesn't sound like I'm being some sort of pervert or something. In Spanish, no it makes here. no sense. We like to call it stealth. <laughs> well, you know what, pervert or not, you made my now all time favorite game hands down. So you know any anything you want to do, I'll let you get away with at this point. You get one pass <laughs> for anything. <laughs> That's good to know. So, um, where did you guys go from here now? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, um, personally, for me, I want to. I want to keep making games. It's it's what I've always wanted to do. I want to be able to uh, get to the point where I can move away from my my day job. I can move to something more or less part time and spend more time focusing on creating these games, these worlds that I can bring to people. And I absolutely want to continue to work with Milton. I think in the last five years, he's become probably one of my closest, if not my closest friends, just from being able to work on this project with him. Oh, <laughs> uh, the feeling is mutual. So it's uh, really awesome to actually have a, some creative project in common and uh, being on the same page almost always. Uh, whenever I was uh, coming up with some idea for some boss battle or some new enemy, we were on the same page and he was pretty much uh, finishing my sentences because we were imagining the same thing. And uh, that kind of experience could be pretty awesome now from now on because we are much more experienced. We have a pretty awesome game under our belt and uh, whatever we do, it's going to be polished, awesome, and um, it's going to be looking fine. When that's going to be, and uh, how much time it's going to be taking, right now I have no clue. Um, would you ever like to visit the Japanese video game culture and like get into it, like you know, like like their Street Fighter games or? For some people, hentai games. I don't know why, but would you ever like to visit that culture of video games? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I've, you know, I've, I've even I wanted to go to I wanted to go to the this last AGDQ because I'm I'm hearing so many good things about it. I wanted to go to I wanted to go to PAX. I want to go to um, uh, what was that one? Magfest. I want to go to Magfest to too. These places. See, these are really cool. I want to go there. Um, but, you know, work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm actually aiming to try and get out to PAX West uh, this year. So, you know, if you happen to be out that way, uh, you know, we'd love to set something up. You know, I've got a, a nice copy of AM2R that could do with some signatures on it. Yay. <laughs> well, I live about 40 minutes south of Seattle. Oh, I want to be out there. I don't know who I'm visiting. <laughs> okay, can I, uh, Larry? I'm coming with you. Me, let's make it happen. Larry, I'm coming with you because I want to visit Seattle. I want to visit it so bad. Uh, well, it's you know, pretty. as soon as tickets are up for that thing, we're uh, we we need to get on top of it. Yeah. So, uh, what about you, Milton? Would you like to visit like Japan or um, different video game cultures? Would you ever like to visit? 
Well, um, it's uh, it's really difficult uh, to actually. I'm actually, I'm actually usually very realistic about these things. Mm-hmm. You get to see all the awesomeness that those events have, but I actually don't plan because it's, uh, you know, tickets are insanely expensive from here in Argentina, and uh, mm-hmm. the exchange rate isn't helping at all. And uh, right now I'm uh, making the most of uh, my family. Uh, all the time that I didn't spend with them, right now I'm making the most to be there for my little girl and my girlfriend. And um, that's pretty much my priorities. I see that those events are awesome. I It would be awesome to attend to any of them. But um, I don't daydream anymore on, on attending to them. Maybe if someday I visit the U.S., we could go and get some beers. But um, it's not uh, my main priority right now. Okay. You come this way, aim for the Midwest. We're right there. Like, Eddie and I are about two hours apart. Exactly. All right. Oh, you guys are close. Yeah. So, he has some of the um, favorite restaurants I, want, I love going to now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for me personally, when, I, when I'm when i showing somebody AM2R and why they need to play this, you know, a, a favorite moment for me that shines is, is an example of just how spectacular it is you know, in scale and scope, but also in the fine detail. You know, I, I show him a snippet of the queen fight right in that last room where uh, the queen snaps out and grabs Samus. And just for that half a second, you can see her holding the queen's mouth open, like fighting <laughs> to hold the jaw open. And it's just this phenomenal little detail that was not there before. And, you know, that, that stands out as a, a big favorite moment for me. I'm curious for you guys, what's what's one of your favorite standout moments from AM2R? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, for me, it would be the GFS uh, thoughts. You know, the hidden area on that that will be the um, the research vessel that uh, it's on the surface. Yep. That place, that place felt like a playground for all of us. Um, all of the artists that uh, contributed on the project did a little bit of it and uh, I pretty much gave them creative ability to do anything in reason, within reasonable bounds so um, both Saber and uh, other, a couple of other uh, artists made uh, plenty of assets for the inside of the ship with all the details that they want and uh, made it look like an actual place I just made around uh, around that an actual level and uh, a nice uh, place, and that's about it. It it felt like an expression of whatever we wanted to show to the world. Um, it's not mechanically interesting, and uh, that boss fight that you get to see there, uh, those fights were done by Mr. Saber here, and uh, that that boss fight was pretty much coded in one night, pretty much. Whoa. It was. Pretty much improvised. They got knocked um, out pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit predictable once you get the pattern, but um, it's um, it's a place where we get to show off a little bit of everything, and it looks nice also. The the uh, the environment was a so much fun to create in that area because we we got to finally um, 
do something entirely new. You know, we didn't have any prerequisites we had to deal with from the other areas and things that we had to follow. This one, we got to pursue that that dark corridor and that that horror kind of theme that we really wanted to pursue in all these other areas. We could pursue it in full in this one small enclosed environment, and it felt really good to create. And there's there's no enemies except for the one. It's nothing but silence and ambient music in the background. And then, you know, you, you see all this research, all these things that have been already confirmed in the other games. And we were able to kind of bring it all together in this one spot and really flesh that out. And hopefully give the player a sense of uneasiness that we wanted to give them throughout the rest of the game as well. We never wanted the player to feel totally comfortable in their environment, nor should they. No, especially in a Metroid game, you absolutely should not. It's supposed to feel alone, alien, and oppressive. Exactly. It was quite a challenge, because uh, by the time Samus get there, uh, she's already pretty powerful. She got, she's got power bombs, super missiles, uh, quite a lot of mobility. So if we were going to be adding uh, minor enemies, they would be just uh, very dis- disposable. So whatever was lurking there and was um, uh, being the cause of all the destruction that you see there, and you'd later see the logbook entry that says that there's, thing, there's still a thing uh, on board, uh, it should get the player's imagination and racing at least for a little bit. They still are quite empowered, but... Uh, Whatever threat is around the corner should be uh, at least a little bit menacing. There was something that we played with a little bit when we were bringing that area to fruition. Um, we we figured by the point that the player was able to get to this area, they would have power bombs, so they would already be pretty, pretty OP by this point. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to have a little bit of control over what the character would have in their inventory when they got Ooh, to this area. Yes. That one, yes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we thought about creating a, um, a security room um, before you could enter this ship. And when you enter the security room, you'd have to stand on a pedestal. And it would strip you of all of your, um, all of your gadgets and all of your heavy weaponry so that all you would have are your beam, your morph ball, and um, maybe a missile tank or two. So that when you're traveling through this environment, you feel very underpowered. You feel very weak. And there's one creature that you see stalking you through the vents while you're exploring this area and learning what happened to this crew. And then you finally get to that last room and try to leave. The door locks and you have to fight that creature with very, very minimum equipment. Oh, that's the beginning of Super Metroid. Just right there, getting locked in that room and just be like, what in the world? Because Super Metroid is very cinematic at times. And that's what I love about this, about that game. And this is what I kind of love about uh, AM2R, that it has a cinematic feel at times. Um, like, you just don't expect anything. But when it happens, you look at it, you just be like, oh, wow. What in the world am I about to get into? And it's just such a good feeling. I mean, we actually did try to not to overdo it. You know, it's uh, very easy to go on, go on with uh, unskippable cutscenes that take forever, and uh, whatever cutscenes that we were including, they need to be quick and snappy, 
and then return the control to the player. And so whatever we, story we were think we were telling about the environment, it should be uh, just restricted to that or very very short cutscenes. Um, at one point there was also plans for a similar sequence. Um, once you complete the basement and you do the entire escape sequence and whatever, you get caught by the explosion. And in a similar way, uh, com similar to uh, the first prime, you get uh, some of your equipment damaged. So you pretty much have to return to the surface with limited uh, abilities. That turns out to be a little bit of a problem because, uh, you know, the mobility and just trying to work without uh, the mobility you got so far was a little bit uh, annoying. It wasn't fun. But it was one idea that was on the table at some point. Right on. I, I will say, too, you know, just touching on the uh, the Federation ship on the surface there, I, I think parts of that hearkened for me back to one of my favorite parts of uh, Echoes, actually, was the very eerie beginning of Echoes, seeing all the dead Federation troopers laying around and finding out what happened to them. I think you guys kind of channeled that very, very well there. Yes, that ship is actually modeled uh, from that particular uh, place. It's one of the ships on the Echoes that you get to see docked in there. That's the, the, the overall design. And uh, it was included to give this... Uh, entire federation thing a little bit of coherence between the games so there's not much that's known about the federation uh, this, but the little that there is uh, including what the uh, categories of the ships are or, or many small details um, I try to respect that I, I do want to go on the record to say that it's kind of unfortunate that the Galactic Federation ships, uh, their design slightly resembles a penis <laughs> wow I know I'm not the only one that thought that when I got to that point in the game and you see the big ship in the background and you're thinking to yourself I know what that looks like <laughs> have you seen thing. a ship that's more manly than that it's on, it's on purpose it's used to <laughs> that's a, defenses. Well, that that's is a manly ship <laughs> be like oh my goodness that's a big dick really bad you'd be like wait what <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but that's the that's the original design that they went with, so I might as well follow suit. I've seen Alien. <laughs> well, it can't be no worse than the Ring Kings, so. <laughs> oh, Milton, if you Milton, if you ever get a chance, there's a game called Ring Kings, and the boxes in that game have a breakout section and. When you see that video, you'll be, you'll understand why anything can't be worse than that. Well, what about genital jousting? I've heard that was a good one. I, I actually <laughs> that because I've heard tell that it has it's way better than it has any actual right to be for a game of you know <laughs> inserting a penis into a penis butt. Oh wow! <laughs> so it, it looks like a good party game. I wouldn't mind giving it a shot. So, that's what she um, said if if i may because i i know we uh we don't want to keep you guys uh you know any longer than you have um any final thoughts anything you guys would like to touch on that you know hasn't really been put out there uh 
since the uh, since the release and uh, takedown of AM2R. Is there anything that you'd want the public to know? Well, so far well, that uh, we are extremely thankful for your time and for dedicating uh, the time to actually enjoy the game and trusting that uh, fans can do stuff that uh, could entertain as much as uh, the official Nintendo games. And um, we are honored by all of this uh, praise and attention. Uh, at least I am. Um, thank you. Yeah, seeing all the attention and praise that the game has gotten and seeing how people really feel about this series and knowing that there's still so much love for it, it's amazing, you know? And we want to see more come out of that. Um, if there's one thing I could say, it's that out of everything that happened, I wish that any representative, anybody from Nintendo would have shot us an email, given us a phone call, just talked to us, you know, face face to face. I'm not going to defend the game. I'm not going to try and fight for it to stay on the internet. I would just want to talk about it, you know, talk about, you know, the love that went into it and, and have a genuine conversation about the game itself and maybe try to, I don't know, come to an understanding. Well, and that, for me, that was all I wanted. But I know I can't expect that. Well, that's that's more of Japan than America. And that I think that would be hard. I would love to see that happen with you guys. But, yeah. It's it's nothing I'll personally ever expect. But if one day I get a phone call from somebody who even works at NOAA and just wants to talk about the game off the record, I would absolutely be – I would love that. To just talk about something that we're both passionate about. I I might know the right person for you to talk to, actually. I've got somebody on my uh, friends list on Facebook. Really? Um, yeah. Um, uh, I'll, I'll bring it up with you after we stop recording. I'm cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Eddie's not allowed to know about this either because this is part of a surprise that I'm hoping to get hashed out for Eddie. <sighs> yeah, he he won't he won't tell me. He he said he has he has a surprise, and. I've I, already told you. It's gonna be good, before. huh? <laughs> but I've already told you now more than you knew before. So yeah, but you didn't tell me who it was. I know, but before this, you didn't know that they work for Nintendo either. A this chat can sell mode, then I already know. <laughs> uh, but in, in any case, um, I, I want to thank you guys both so much for you know sparing an hour and a half of your time with us. Uh, and letting me gush like a little schoolgirl with the people that made my all-time favorite game. Um, Thank which, you for spending I, that time with us and letting us talk about it with you. Yeah, I, you I guys, don't see it being dethroned any time in the near future. So You guys are always <laughs> welcome back. So, and, you guys that, to... Absolutely. You know, in, in your coming ventures, whatever it happens to be, you know, we, we would love to, uh, you know, help you get the word out and, you know, have you guys come on and, you know, gush a little more about whatever your future endeavors are. That would be awesome. Can I get ask you guys one last question that's not video game related? If that's fine. Yeah. What is your favorite cereal? Hmm. Uh, for me, Somebody my favorite cereal. I, my favorite cereal has always been 
frosted shredded mini weeds. Really? What? <laughs> I love my weedies. I have always loved my weedies. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> yep. Oh wow. Slice in a couple bananas, maybe some strawberries. I'm feeling squirrely. I'm thinking of like tricks or cookie crisp or cocoa puffs. And Milton, what about you? Your favorite cereal? Um, we certainly don't have the variety and eccentricity that you guys have. Uh, we only have the one that has the tiger and the one that has the big, uh, big bird. And uh, uh, I'm really not that much of a consumer of cereal; just uh, massive amounts of coffee. Okay, what's your favorite coffee? That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> well, coffee uh, and flavor. No, just a plain old regular instant coffee. If it has caffeine, that's enough for me. I'm a pretty simple guy uh, regarding breakfast. Uh, if we talk about lunch or any other uh, recipes, um, I'm pretty much more uh, uh, well-versed in cooking. Yeah, okay. Then we'll... uh, that that's it. Uh, a new cooking mama game coming from Milton and uh, Steve oh. confirmed. Right. <laughs> because my cooking cooking papa. Oh, there you, you know, I, you know, I'm telling cooking you right doctor. now. I'm telling you right now, Milton. If you make that day one download, day one purchase, <laughs> I, I don't know how I can send the DLC. Right, I don't know how I can send ten dollars to you. I, I don't know. If you're gonna make a GoFundMe account, but you will see some money in your account <laughs> for this game. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Um, we will let you know when we start with the pre-orders. Yes. Larry, what, Larry, what is your favorite cereal? Uh, I like old people cereal. I like crackling oat brand. Shut the hell up. Oh, no, that's pretty good, actually. I'm cool with that. Put in a little bit of honey and you're good. Just yeah. give me my honey nut Cheerios. That's my... Mm. I love that. <laughs> I'll give you some nuts covered in honey. Shut up. I'm going to talk to you after the show when I get a chance. <laughs> Uh, and this is why we told you guys, don't worry about anything you say on here. Trust me, anything goes. Oh, Milton, can I ask you, uh, I'm sorry, uh, did you ever have, did you guys ever have an arcade there um, and where you at in Argentina? Uh, on the 80s, yes, that was pretty common. Um, I was actually going, when I was uh, four or five years old mm -hmm. with, my, with my dad, and uh, I did enjoy quite a lot of Wonder Boy, Bubble Bubble. Uh, Outrun, those kind of games are classics, and I hold a special place I'm, in my I'm, heart for them. I'm sending you an Internet USA hug right now because you just said about some of my favorite games and not from the arcade. <laughs> <laughs> then, by the time that Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat became popular, they kind of faded out. And nowadays, you only see some places with um, DDR machines mm here -hmm. and there. And uh, not not much, not not that much. It's not something that's popular. Besides a couple of uh, malls and um, big places like that. Yeah, I know here uh, close to Chicago, we have a place called Galloping Ghost. It's like you pay fifteen dollars, you go, and you can spend all day playing free arcade games. Like they go from uh, Killer Instinct. Uh, Ikaruga, oh, like, blast. oh, they may, uh, they may take PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3 games and, uh, the systems and make arcade cabinets. So you can play, like, Street Fighter 4, 
Um, what? Yeah, you could, you could play Castle Crashers. Like they took they they even make some of their own games, and they got like the whole completion of like all NES stuff. So you get to play the original Mario Brothers that only have three hundred seconds, and then that's the end of your game playing time. Um, <laughs> like like they they. I miss arcades, and I and since you since you live in Argentina, or you know, I was wondering how the arcade life was there. Well, I actually miss them too. Nowadays, there's a couple of places that you can go and find a couple of uh, old arcades, but uh, for the most part, you get to see uh, Daytona machines and mm-hmm. some shooting games, and that's about it. Wow. Um, but back in the eighties and the nineties, it was something pretty big well, right on we want to thank you guys for your time and joining us here on the show um i know you guys said you haven't uh listened to much of any of the rest of our show but uh probably right about now once i post edit this uh your music from hydro station should be taking us out um so guys if there's anything you want to plug do it now here's your shot uh, there's a, there's a barcade in downtown Tacoma, Washington that I like to go to called Dorky's. You can get tacos and uh-huh. all sorts of different bar food. You can get beer and you can buy a whole shitload of quarters and just get drunk and play arcade games all day. Come and on, Larry. Clock, there's no minors. Larry, we need we need air tickets right now. We need to find it. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you at that place. Nope. Well, also yeah. buy Axiom Verge. It's amazing. Yes. Ooh, yes. Yes. Tom Hap is an incredible man, and I have so much respect for him. Completely agree with this guy. Uh, if guys, if you ever need to escape from some ex-wife or whatever, and need to leave to South America, feel free to visit Argentina. It's pretty awesome in some places, and um, could be a nice opportunity to uh, buy you guys a beer or two. Yay! Eddie, plug your shit. Let's close it out. <laughs> you guys can find this podcast on SoundEngine.com, our new home. Shout Engine. Shout Engine. <laughs> Would I say Sound Engine? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, there's there's different reasons why. Um, ShoutEngine.com. You can that's for our new home for this podcast. You guys can email World One One Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at World World One Underscore One uh podcast on twitter um i do my own podcast called optional opinion at the anonymous radio network.podbean.com soundcloud itunes google play um just last week i got the i've talked about the nintendo switch presentation with my good friend todd oxtra for secret french united um and we did it's called the good the bad and the eye roll so we talk about what we like what we're interested in and then things just we just can't believe that they did um and also me and larry check out the last episode of world one one where larry's at gamestop <laughs> get it ready to pre-order the switch and we talk about the nintendo presentation there um i write on ign.com for my blog for optional opinion under anime e-n-i-m-e um i this week i am doing a feature so be ready for that i'll be talking about barbie games monster high games girl games and why they are made why they're in this industry and why we as gamers older gamers don't play them um or like uh are why they're a quick gift gift games for girls so i'll be exploring that 
I have a series called The Moment at SkirmishFrost.com where I talk about old retro games and how they apply to my life. Um, I know I do a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm on Team Nerd also where I do Podcast Connected and I'm on DNA where I also do writing and I uh, do Power Block with that. So I'm available. I do a lot of podcasting, a lot of writing for video games. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at that retro code. Um, you can also check out my series. Let's learn on, uh, Twitch, uh, at the lyrical one, capital D a capital L Y R I C A L the number one, where I take a game, I play it, but I also talk about that genre and actually how to play that genre of game. So do check that out. That will be coming back soon. Um, I, be talking about horror games once I get Resident Evil 7 so do watch out for that and I think that's wow. all for me you you do quite a lot yes I <laughs> yes. man I should have made a list <laughs> how am I going to compete with that well you guys you guys made a video game that 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 outdoes everything that I kind of do <laughs> so. yeah, you well, know, you're um... doing like a whole bunch of stuff on top of that and I, I feel I don't know I can't feel Make me look lazy. Come no, on, man. No. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's actually working. What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I got a short list to wrap with. Um, you know, find us out on uh, Facebook World One One Podcast, all spelled out, all one word. Uh, you'll also find uh, you can join the conversation on our uh, forums page on Facebook as well. Um, do us a favor, go out, hit the like button, get our content in your feed, new episodes in your uh, in your earballs every Monday. Um, that's it for us. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, uh, thank you so much, uh, Milton, Doctor M sixty four, and Steve Saber two thirty from AM two R for joining us yes! this week. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for the time. And with that, everybody. <laughs> and with that, everybody, we are out. All right, later. Oof.